IBM and the creators of Star Trek present a major television event. Now it's time to go home. The 100th episode of Voyager. Trust us, the first 99 episodes were but a prelude for what's next. LeVar Burton guest stars on Voyager. Strange new takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnick, and stuck with me 10 meters under the ice are Bill Boywad, Emily Bowen Marler. Welcome to Strange New Takes. We're excited to start a new series recapping episodes of Star Trek that deal with time travel. Uh, I only know that because I got a message in my temporal <laughs> transmitter from the year <laughs> 2386 letting me know that uh, the next series is going to be on time travel. <laughs> And so to kick that off today, uh, we're going to recap Timeless, an episode of Voyager. And before we do that, I want to encourage you to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, tell your friends about us and give us a five-star rating on iTunes because that makes us more discoverable by other people. And this episode first aired on 18th November 1998. I would hope that you've had a chance to watch it before you listen to this episode. If not, just remember that you will be spoiled on this episode, certainly. Probably on a lot of Voyager and generally quite a bit on Star Trek. So just know that going in, that this is a podcast where we talk about Star Trek and that involves spoilers. So you have now been warned. All right. We always start our episodes with our strange new takes. What are your strange new takes this week, gang? Well, my strange new take um, for life is that the vaccination is so very freeing. Everyone go out and get vaccinated. Your life is going to open up. It's such a good idea. So we've been having playdates now with our toddler. And the thing that I have observed is that toddlers just play near each other. They right. don't really play with each other very much yet. You know, it's like, like you think, oh, they're going to like want to play together. And but they just kind of play near each other, but each doing their own thing, which, hey, you know what? I'm OK with that because I would really like my toddler to go do his own thing while he lets me do my own thing. <laughs> but we haven't gotten there yet. So when an adult's in the room, he just wants to play with us, not near mm. us. So we'll see. My best friend as a toddler had a long sword, so while he was playing near me, he hit me with it a lot. Well, yeah, had to be see, told there to stop. You should have gotten an even longer sword. Ah, right? It was He Man's sword, man. There's no swords longer than that. <laughs> so I'm trying to think what my strange new take for the episode was, because of course I watched it this morning, so it should be fresh in my mind, but. Um, I think the strange new take is just uh, really, th- I, I don't think I remembered quite how grim this episode was. Um, like the two things that come to mind are just Chicote and Harry walking around the ship and seeing all of their dead crewmates. Um, so that's kind of grim. And then also the doctor holding seven of nines, you know, skull <laughs> in his hand for quite a bit of the episode. I was like, Ooh, wow. That's, that's, pretty grim too so i just didn't remember that 
What, what is what is the famous play where there's a skull and like oh. there's a major Shakespeare and actor who like donated his skull to his company? Oh, yeah, really? it's I... Hamlet is the play. Right, Hamlet. Yep. Yeah, there's there's a major actor <laughs> whose skull is now used as the as a skull in the play. All right. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> my uh, my my strange new take this week is that man, it really sucks when your cats have medication side effects. Um, however, it is not so bad when your humans have vaccine side effects because I had vaccine side effects. My partner had vaccine side effects. And we can be like, hey, we're having side effects. And I can be like, don't worry, you're having side effects. Here's what you need to do to stop having these side effects and feel better. But with a cat, it's like, meow, I'm going to flip upside down. I'm going to bite you for no reason and just be really crazy and vomit everywhere. And it's like, what is happening? I don't know how to make you feel better. Um, that This was my life uh, very recently. So um, just the comparison between the two. Human side effects way better than cat side effects. Just remember that. Um, but my strange new take for this episode, I'll just go ahead with I'll, I'll leech on to yours, Emily, and just go on with that, which is that discussion between uh, Chakotay and the woman he's having sex with. Thanks, Harry. Like, <laughs> like come on, buddy. Like, some privacy, please. Harry is just please. grumpy. <laughs> right? He was a big grump. Um, but Tessa and Chakotay are having, like, this conversation about Voyager on the bridge, and, like, Janeway's body is three feet away, as we've seen earlier in the episode. And I don't know if my, like, person I had romantic dinners with was lying dead a few feet away from me and for the first time, like, I'd seen them in, like, 15 years. I don't know if I could talk to my girlfriend, like, all chill, like, I am a grim man with a grim history and you should go and not do this with, like, I don't think I'd have the emotional weight for that at that moment, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Okay, um, I'll jump in. So... I'm going to continue Emily's PSA. Uh, you know, everybody definitely get vaccinated for sure. And because it's just really good and it just prevents you from getting COVID. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, my experience, you know, I've, I've uh, been talking to some people who are like, you know, it's so weird going back to the real world and seeing your friends face to face again and going into a restaurant for the first time. Has it been like that for me at all? It's just been awesome. Like, like oh yeah, I love restaurants. It, <laughs> this food is so good. This is so much fun. Um, so I'm, I'm enjoying that a lot for sure. Um, you know, regarding the episode, uh, you know, I think my, my strange new take has got to be that Everything is always Harry's fault. If Harry, <laughs> if Harry Kim was not on Voyager, they would have made it back to Earth, like in the like, first season. <laughs> Seriously, everything is always his fault. <laughs> well, and they had their chance to get rid of him because he died, right? And they just pulled him from the other ship. So I know, like, and then Harry, they never talk about it again. It's not even Harry; it's just some weird imposter alternate universe <laughs> Harry, and they just pretend like nothing happened. So. <laughs> okay, crazy story, okay? And um, I this is like 100% true. So I was reading about why the commander on Babylon 5 in season 1, Michael O'Hare, was replaced. And at the time, uh, it was it was said to be like some sort of casting decision or some something to do with some dispute or something. It, it was like some nondescript reason. It's only after the actor died 
that J. Michael Straczynski, the guy who made the show, said that this guy had major psychological issues during the filming of the first season and had to be let go. The producer said, you can take some time off to get treatment, come back, and the actor refused. Anyway, so this this came up, and it was like, oh, wow, these fans of the show had to take over a decade to find out what happened, why this like pivotal event in the show happened. Turns out Voyager had the same thing. You know, since I have been watching Voyager, <clears throat> I've always known the line that like, yeah, they were going to uh, keep Jennifer Lean and get rid of Garrett Wong, but because he made People Magazine's 100 top whatever, they kept Garrett Wong. One really quick clarification. I'm reading here in Memory Alpha, and it's the co-authors of Star Trek Voyager A Celebration, Ben Robinson and Mark Wright, who were in an interview with Sci-Fi, S-Y-S-F-Y, the website. And they mentioned, so this is a 2020 book that was a celebration of Voyager for its, I think it's 25th anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. And they summarize the situation around Jennifer Lee in this way. It's a very sad story. There's been a lot of avoiding the subject and repeating an official line over the years, but essentially she was very troubled and became unreliable, which led to them ending her contract. Everyone was very thoughtful and considerate about what is obviously a very sensitive subject. And it feels right that we've finally been able to admit what happened. And I'm grateful that the team at CBS let us tell that story. Just wanted to put out the official quote so that there's no like ambiguity and, and um, kind of, my own paraphrasing doesn't doesn't add any sort of uh, element of vagueness to this to the story. That's all we know. Because I have not I'm gonna read the be, book. I haven't read the book either. I'm curious. Um, so I mean, I had heard the story about what had happened with her recently, and it's just sad. I mean, it's just yeah. you know. Anyway, when someone has trouble like that, it's just that's sad. Um, but I've it's been interesting to hear how. Uh, Garrett Wong and Robbie Duncan McNeil talk about her in her scenes because they don't I mean they don't ever talk about they talk about everyone else and like you could tell they all have relationships with each other and are still talking to each other and they'll call each other and be on the show and everything and you don't have that feeling that that is the way it is with her but mm. they like are so extraordinarily complimentary of her ability and like how she did the scenes and i mean the, you could tell that there's a genuine affection for her and i almost feel like a kind of protective they feel protective of her like just the way they talk about her it just kind of feels that way so yeah that's just interesting to hear about that if you read the quotes of people when she left voyager especially kate mulgrew they're all like yeah she's gonna have a great future in the industry we now know that she's had some struggles with mental mm -hmm. health since then um, it's just interesting because like we, you know, this, this whole people magazine thing about Harry and, and Garrett Wong has been like kind of the like, you know, accepted storyline for so many decades now mm -hmm. that it was kind of a shock to me. And I, I don't know, like it's, it's one thing to discuss Jennifer Lean's health and I don't know how I really truly feel about that. Like it's, it's just kind of tragic to see yeah. someone struggle, but on the other hand, I also feel like Harry Garrett Wong the, through this whole time has been like referred to as the guy who was almost fired from Voyager, which I also don't think is kind of fair, you know? And like his, mm -hmm. he got into this one magazine and that's why he stayed and like he's the reason she got booted. You know, like, it's yeah. kind of awkward and cringy. I don't know. Well, you, mm. you, th those are good points, Notch, but you, do you know what the real, real reason is? <laughs> is, <laughs> is that the writers realized that if they got rid of Harry Kim... They wouldn't have um, anybody to screw everything up in every single episode <laughs> to drive the plot. So, <laughs> so they, he, he has to be on the show. Otherwise, it would be so boring. 
Because everybody would just be competent and get things done. <laughs> oh, come on. He's competent. Oh, that's so bad. So bad. I'm, I'm oh. just giving him a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he you know, he shouldn't stand so hard at attention, you know, uh, as we found out in the very first episode in our, in our pilot series, as we found out when we watched Caretaker. Well, anyway, getting into in-depth episode discussion, though, here's the summary of this episode from... Memory Alpha, a failed attempt to return home results in Voyager crash landing on an ice world and also in the deaths of the crew except Chakotay and Harry Kim. Now, 15 years later, the two men, having resigned from Starfleet, attempt to alter history to save the ship from disaster before Starfleet can stop them. Just a quick point at this at this moment. This is a fairly long episode summary. Sometimes, and this episode has a pretty linear plot. Sometimes episodes with like four different plots have like one sentence. And I mm-hmm. don't know who writes these episode summaries, but... <laughs> They're a little inconsistent. Anyway, I think that's a pretty good summary. So let's move on to just jumping into discussing the story. And I have I have a quick point. Okay, I usually also tell you this. Uh, the teleplay was by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. The story was by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Joe Minoski. It was di- directed by LeVar Burton, he of Jordi LaForge, and now Jeopardy phase, uh, fame. Uh, <laughs> I, I should also mention Roots here because I feel like a, there's enough Star Trek fans who don't know Roots that he was he was a star of Roots and uh, that he was also in Reading Rainbow. But anyway. That's how I do him. That's why I thought Star Trek was so cool because it had the guy from Reading Rainbow. <laughs> right, right. And uh, in-universe date is 52143.6, uh, 2375. And it also takes place in 2390. And by the way, this was the sixth episode of the fifth season of Voyager and... It was the 100th episode of Voyager produced, but only the 99th released because Caretaker counts as only one. I want. I feel like when they were advertising this episode, they advertised it as the 100th episode, though, because I'm like, I forgot that it was the 100th episode. But as I read this, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember when it was a big deal, like Voyager's 100th episode. So take that memory alpha mods. There are two episodes. <laughs> Caretaker is two episodes. Uh, or is it is it actually that that other UPN TV movie is counted as I don't know I don't know anyway <laughs> this is this is not that kind of podcast but um, the first idea for this episode was actually visual Brandon Braga wanted to see Voyager under ice and then he specified in the in the script it was exactly ten meters of ice how'd y'all That's feel about that opening huh where you see the you know, it's all quiet and then it pans out. Well, and they don't, there's like no dialogue or anything, right? Like that happens until the very end of that scene. It's a pretty, pretty stunning visual. Yeah, I thought it was a great opening uh, and and great kind of reveal at the end mm-hmm. of that scene that sets up the, the episode. It was, it was intentionally, it was written intentionally minimalistic. And I think it really works. I feel, I wish mm-hmm. we had more Trek episodes kind of like that, where you're taken into this mysterious world and it's not exposition, but it's like visually telling you uh, what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it think. sets up a mystery, but it doesn't, um, it, it, I mean, it, there's exposition, but it's also a mystery at the same time, you know, like you're kind right. of, yeah. There's no like captain and first officer chit-chatting about which alien has had what problem and what's going to happen in the rest of the episode. (laughs) Um, 
but yeah, we, we see Chakotay and Harry Kim going on Voyager. It's it's uh, and then it pans out to like I, I I really I mean when you talk about Voyager and visuals that are seared in my head, it's that that shot of Voyager under the ice is so well done. It, it's mm-hmm. just like always up here. Uh, also, the Voyager cr- the crash landing, which we can talk about a little bit later. But like mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is like iconic Star Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. Um, well. The the, I feel like one of the the things that was kind of jarring to me watching it, not necessarily bad, just kind of a shift, was when you go from that after the credits, you enter that slow motion sequence. I'm wondering what y'all thought about that. Like, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Like, I, it's um, because it kind of plays like a dream sequence rather than, like, so you know, as I'm watching, I'm like, so is this gonna end up being like legitimately what happens in like if we were to look at the actual timeline of voyager i don't know it's because it doesn't feel like a real real life it feels like a dream more than um yeah it's really Mm. so i i that was the first thought i had was like oh is someone dreaming this or is this really how it happened or even the whole thing with Belana and breaking the um, champagne on the, well, it's not actually on the warp core, but you know, the rail around the warp core, warp core. And yeah, it just felt very dreamlike. I'm just not imagining Harry being like, we have to go back and stop her from smashing the champagne bottle. <laughs> That's, That's what, what caused this- the problem. <laughs> yeah. Bill, what'd you, what'd you think about that whole like opening sequence where they're discussing the trans warp and, and then Tom Paris points out the point three phase variants and all this other stuff. Cause I, th- I don't think we go back to the future. Haha. <laughs> That's a movie. Uh, mm-hmm. we, I don't think we go back to the future until all of that is done. Right. Like I think, I think we see the like, 15 years ago stuff before that right that's the first this is confusing to talk about that's the first scene in the first timeline right it's it's the second so so i i feel like if you want to get technical act one is the opening where they're in the past act two is when they're 15 years earlier in 2375 and all of the stuff happens and we learn the like basic problem at hand. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, definitely, you know, kind of surreal. Um, drunk seven and nine is great. Right. Yeah. We're as one. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the thing with Tom Paris, I mean, it's so Voyager. He's like, Oh, the point two <laughs> phase variance could overload the quantum matrix, <laughs> which is like bad, I guess. I don't. <laughs> I mean, what's so a quantum matrix? <laughs> but it it would get overloaded. We know that. Um, <laughs> uh huh. Classic Voyager. Um, so yeah, I mean, they they set up the conflict that that will be kind of explored through the rest of the episode. I think it's a story. compelling one, though, right? Like, I feel like the tension and the like the pressure of the plot works here, like. They are. They found a miracle technology, but it got. It's gonna. It's not gonna be able to be used. I feel the pressure there. Yeah. Well, and yeah. it's so. It's so real life. I mean, how many times have we been in a situation where you find the solution, someone discovers that solution is not gonna work, but there are people that are so committed to that solution that they're just not. They don't really care. Like they're just gonna keep pushing, and like you're just like, oh, Harry, oh, come on, no, take a step back. This is going to go wrong, you know? But um, mm-hmm. he's he's more blinded by his desire to get home than he is by his willingness to actually um, do what needs to be done in order to make sure it's safe. 
Yeah, and this, you know, this happens, what, three or four times in Voyager? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, any time they stumble on some alien transwarp, blah, 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 or whatever, that it's not going to work out unless it's the season 26th seven. episode of season seven, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, something, you know, something's going to happen or it's, or it's a trick or whatever. Mm-hmm. And go ahead, Emily. No, no. I was trying to think of, there was a line, but I think it happens later in the episode. So we can, we can talk about it later. Um, I, yeah, it's, I think the thing for me is that even the, the way that it's all revealed is kind of interesting. I'm not a huge fan of the whole massive amounts of confetti in engineering, like who cleaned all that up? But <laughs> I, I do think it's kind of like... Probably Harry. Right, probably Harry. <laughs> We've never seen something like that with the whole crew assembled. And so it was, it was visually, I think, a very different experience. And I, I really enjoyed it. The, like, the, the, the... The contrast between everyone being happy, then the the like, oh, but no, like we can't do this, and and them like going to the holodeck and like exploding a whole bunch. Um, I, 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 it's Star Trek stuff like that, where you know, in real life, if we got to try a technology, we can't go to the holodeck and be instantly in the bridge, but we're not in the bridge and like try it out. Like it's cool. Like it's stuff like that that makes me be like, oh, whoa, Star Trek is awesome. So I kind of like that very much, and um, I. I, I got to hand it also to Robert Duncan McLean Law. I think he was like pretty convincing as to me as like the guy who's like, yo, dude, this isn't going to work. And I was honestly surprised to see just how much Janeway was like, we got to do this. We yeah. cannot not do this. <laughs> Is there a way around this? Let's just. Well, and Chakotay wasn't. So I found right. that to be interesting too. Like Chakotay's like, you know, I really think there are too many risks. And if Starfleet engineers were looking at this, they would say we're insane for trying this. Like this is not, um, there's too many variables for this to actually be a safe option. And Janeway's like, but I think we still need to do it. <laughs> you know? So yeah, Janeway and Harry are kind of on the same page and Chakotay and Paris are on the same page, which is not always how you see things going. So also, what y'all think about that scene in her quarters? They totally did it after that. Right? I was like, <laughs> this is like, you know. That was totally a date. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's candlelit. There's flowers. She's making a family recipe. She's touching the way she on touched, her face. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, a, it's like a pretty big HR violation. Right, as as like, Harry Kim come says, come to my quarters for dinner. That's an order. <laughs> as, as Harry Kim would put it, they're having sex, Doctor. They're having sex. Um, but is it really an HR violation if he revealed to her a few seasons ago that he was in love with her, and they just kind of take their time? You know, maybe it's not quite so bad. It's, she's not like it's not like she's you know uh, preying upon him. <laughs> no, 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 you guys. I I have I have the Voyager. HR manual right here. <laughs> and you won't believe this, but there's a clause here that says if you if your captain and first officer are abandoned on a planet in a little cabin and they make house thinking that they're completely lost and never going to meet anyone else again and start a romance in that way, it's okay. It's not an HR violation. <laughs> it's a very specific exception, See? but it's very lucky. Very lucky. <laughs> um, I- I, I just have to say, I did think that scene was funny where Chakotay is like, oh, yeah, this is a terrible idea. 
like you said, Emily, you know, Starfleet engineers would say, what are you guys doing? This is crazy. And Janeway just like listens and she's like, okay, uh, actually, I'm not going to listen to you at all. I'm just going to do what I wanted to do in the first place. Do I have your support, Ch- Chicote? And he's like, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, absolutely. Forget all that stuff I said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean it. <laughs> no, for sure. It, it was it was it was a little confusing, but I guess I mean they have to have somebody be pu- really pushing for this, and Janeway being there is it makes sense. Um, it's kind of funny that after, like in the next episode, we don't have Chakotay being like, see, everything got screwed. If we just listen, <laughs> if we had let the Benamite crystals decay, which is the other thing that in here is that the Benamite crystals are decaying, whatever they are. We've never heard of them before, but um, yeah. they're suddenly incredibly important and they've taken years to synthesize. So the question is, did they have this idea back in episode one and they've just been synthesizing the crystals for five seasons? I never mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> or is it technology they got from... Because that was the thing. They also talked about how this was technology or th- different aspects of technology borrowed from like three different uh, groups, I think. You know, they had talked mm-hmm. about the Borg. They talked... So maybe those crystals were from another another um, species or something. I don't it's know. just a species that like melts those crystal and like mm-hmm. they're like a drug on that planet and these guys are like no we need it and they're the species is like it's banned narcotics you could that could be a star trek episode by the way how they got the benamite crystals this there is like go. the just say no episode of voyager y'all i'm just saying i ha- i i am brandon brock i have written an episode of voyager just now in front of you well that's that's literally i don't know if this that was intentional or not but that's like dune right R- spice and dune is spice it, it like facilitates faster than light travel and it's like a really? drug like they and they all the people that live on the planet i think are like basically dependent on it and if they stop taking it they will like die or something i mean it's kind of also equinox because you know i mean it's not a drug but they're like creatures but they make them go faster so like it's it's a, i feel like it's a common sci-fi thing like this bad thing that is horrible also has this really good side <laughs> So um, anyway, anyway, moving on from the Benamite crystals, uh, let's let's watch that pad go from the romantic dinner to like the frozen floor to show the passage of time, uh, and let's end up in Act Three. But before we do that, uh, I, I do before we take a br- I wanted us to take a break, but I also want us to reflect a little bit on time travel in this episode because Star Trek is notoriously fickle about how time travel occurs in the original series it's like yo we just like went around the sun a bunch and now we're in the past and we're gonna meet gary seven it's gonna be great uh and then there's other like MacGuffins throughout the entire show that like different things happen we've in our in our moral dilemma series we saw cisco and gang uh, how did that happen i can't remember now how did they end up in in the wasn't it some some sort of chronoton particle something yeah when they were beamed down, I can't remember exactly. It was a transporter accident. Yeah, it was, it was, a, a, transport. it was transporters and chroniton particles somehow. Yeah. Right. And so there, there's different there's different methods of time travel. In this one, which we're about to find out from Harry Kim in Act 3, that it's the, um, oh, what was it called? It was the Borg Temporal Transmitter. Yeah. <laughs> that can connect to Seven of Nine's, uh, what was it? Which cortical freak? node. Her cortical, cortical node. Oh, it was her trans... Uh, it was her. What well, wasn't it? Temporal transceiver or so uh, so. Or her chronoton, her chronometric node, right. and pinpoint the exact moment of her cybernetic implants 
anyway, I have I wrote it down somewhere. Yeah. So the the final translink frequency registered by the interplexing beacon at the time of Seven's death will tell them exactly where she and hence Voyager will was before the catastrophe. And the chronometric node will tell her actual time of death when her Borg implants disengage from her organic systems. So Harry will then use the temporal transmitter uh, to transmit a message to her. This is the time travel in in this episode. Uh, it's it's more of a message than a person. But I wanted to know how. What do y'all think about the mechanics of time travel here? In this well, it obviously doesn't make sense because they forgot about Seven's uh, hyperplexing beacon. Which they never... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, in some ways, it's kind of a... It's a less unbelievable form because it's like... It seems kind of crazy when like we as people can end up in another time period. So just sending a message seems like a, you know, less of a leap kind of thing. Um, or less complicated, even though it's very complicated, right? They tend, I mean, just going around the sun a couple times doesn't seem very complicated if it throws you back in time, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I, I had the same thought. I agree 100%, like the idea of uh, transmitting just information versus matter, right? I think that's a, a neat kind of distinction to think about. And sorry, just really brief sidebar. So th these writers who did that for TOS, like I think they literally thought, like, oh, like, you know, a year happens when the Earth goes around the sun. And so if you went the opposite direction, it would, like, unwind time. Right? I think that's literally what, like, the, what they were going for. Mm -hmm. Who did that first, Superman or Star Trek? <laughs> yeah, Don't yeah. Same thing Superman Super 2? I guess, I guess they did but it in Star Trek, the original series, so that would have been before Superman, but... Yeah, but yeah, it's it's, it's really stupid. <laughs> yeah. like well, if you just go the in, opposite direction, yeah. And especially in the voyage home, when all their weird disembodied heads just kind of like do that weird and that oh, you know that sequence when they're going around the sun, they're traveling back in time, and they're like their weird heads that kind of look like mannequin heads or something. It's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> and you hear like it. you hear like echoes of of lines from other movies or something, you know, like that's how they're showing time travel. I don't know. It's weird stuff. Well, maybe we'll add that episode. It's on our list. Uh, so maybe we can, we can, we can think about it, but yeah. I, I mean, the one question I have is this about this specific time travel in timeless, which is if the Borg have a temporal transmitter, why haven't they been like, Hey, Borg queen, Picard defeats you in the past. So here's how you beat him. Or, or like anything, like in, like hey, Wolf three five nine, send like twenty cubes instead of one. You'll need a little bit of help, but if you have it, you can like totally just kill all the humans. Like, <laughs> it's it's, I mean, Janeway says it. I think in this, does she say it in this episode the time travel? Uh, like the best way to to make sense of time travel is not to think about it or something like yes. that. Yes, <laughs> just uh, don't question it. Yeah, just don't question it. And there's another episode of Voyager where she famously says time tra temporal paradoxes give her a headache. So I feel like this is one of those things where we just have to be like, don't, don't. Think about it too hard. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like the Borg, no, here's here's my headcanon though. It's like the Borg only had the one temporal transmitter and the drone mistakenly like hit delete while like moving it on all the plans. And now they don't have them anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it I, so so 
I really like the aspect that Emily mentioned. Um, but yeah, it, the details are really problematic. Like when you think about it, like, if, so they just have this ability uh, to send seven a message any time, right? And, uh, you know, the doctor says, like, Harry, why are you going to send her the message like two seconds before the ship blows up? You could do it like a week earlier or like, you know, way at the beginning before you guys waste all this time and resources developing this thing that isn't going to work. And Harry is just kind of like, oh, no, like the timing is he, he just hand waves it. Right. He's like, the timing is really important. So we have to do it two seconds before the ship blows up. Makes no sense. Except I have to say the way they play it out in the scene, it kind of does make sense because if seven just got some random coordinates sent to her cranial implant or whatever it's called, um, just sometime when she's walking around during the week, why, why would she do anything about it? But the fact that it was timed exactly when they weren't able to get information from Harry anymore, but they still knew that they could be getting information from Harry. It was conceivable to the captain that Harry was the one that sent her that information. So she's like, go ahead and enter those, you know, enter that information. So they actually, the way they executed it in the scene, it does seem like the perfect time for seven to have gotten that message. I completely agree with you. And I think that that was how it was originally written and it was consistent, mm -hmm. except I think at the end, the writers, there was some smart ass writer who was like, Hey, we need to have old Harry talk to young Harry. They're so different. Wouldn't it be cool if they're talking to one another? And that message if you can send a video, why not have Chakotay and Harry be like, hello, we are you from the <laughs> future. True. We are here to tell you that that doubt you had, Chakotay, while, while she was sec about to sex you and fed you dinner, don't get distracted by the sex. <laughs> tell her not to do it. You know, like, there could have been, like, more... I, so I think that that undermines it. I But again, I don't think I thought about any of this stuff as, like, it didn't bother me. It's just like, I feel like with these time travel episodes, it's fun to kind of be like, well, what if this device could do other things? But as I'm sure we'll find out in future episodes, there's just not like, there's a lot of them where it's just like, don't think about that. It's not worth it. Just yeah. forget about it. Sweep <laughs> it under the rug. But okay, so we're agreed though. It was, it was, it was fun that time travel, like was, as far as time travel in Star Trek goes, it was pretty like, believe not believable necessarily but like it was suspend your judgment and it's it's easy to like it's not like crazy overly complicated techno babble garbage mm -hmm. yeah i yeah. thought it was fun yeah mm -hmm. yeah okay well with that let's take a quick break here and we shall return with part two we're still here why are we still here mr kim the new phase corrections didn't work are you certain if voyager had gotten through safely we wouldn't still be here trying to save them. The transmitter's functioning. Seven must have received our message. Harry, we just bought you a few more minutes. Acknowledge. I'm no time travel expert, but can't we just call Voyager again? The past isn't going anywhere. It's not gonna help if we don't know what to tell them. This little drink kinetics look right. Hyperdimensional progressions. Perfect. Maybe it's the deflector geometry. Harry, we're looking at a possible core breach in less than three minutes. How's it coming back there? Great, just great. It took me 10 years to make these corrections. I can't fix it in three minutes. You've got to try. I can't. It's not working. Why won't it work? 
I killed them! Control yourself! They trusted me and I killed them! Mr. Kim! I didn't spend all those years in an ice bucket so I could listen to you berate yourself. If you want to wallow in self-pity, fine. Do it on your own time. Don't you see? History is repeating itself! I destroyed Voyager once and I'm doing it again! Somebody has got to knuckle down and change history and that somebody is you. It can't be done, Doc. I told you. No. You told me you can't correct their phase variance. All right, we have to accept that. But what about sending Voyager a warning? Is there a way to get them to abort the slipstream flight? Yes. Yes! I could send a phase correction which would disperse the slipstream entirely. If we can't get the crew home, at least we can save their lives! Welcome back to Strange New Takes. New takes, not old takes. I don't know if y'all, Emily and Bill, have talked about any of this before. I never have. I've never discussed Star Trek with anybody. These are all strange and new <laughs> takes. All right. Um, well, speaking of strange and new, uh, old Chakotay and old Harry Kim are pretty strange. I feel like season five is about when these characters had started becoming the archetypes that we saw through the end of the show. They, I don't think either of these two characters had terribly much, like, change in the way that they were portrayed i think we learn more about a little bit more about them at times but like there's not there's no like fundamental personality changes that happen to these guys anymore so it was it was strange and new to see this iteration of them interestingly garrett wong portrayed his character and maybe y'all can tee off of this he decided to see Mel Gibson's character from the original Lethal Weapon who doesn't care about what's going on, about his own life. He's kind of whacked out that kind of character. That's that's the, the cue he took for how he portrayed old Harry. Well, I noticed immediately his voice was different. And I think we find that we hear his voice before we know it's 15 years in the future. I think. I can't remember when they have the reveal of how you know, how long it's been since Voyager crashed. But the first time you hear Harry, it's like, oh, his voice is noticeably different. Like, he's not talking the way we would have heard him before. There's a confidence there. I don't know if y'all agree. There's pain, there's all this emotion, but there's also, like, certainty of what he wants. There's none of that youthful bullshit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Compared to young Harry... And I th yeah, I think Garrett Wong really pulled it off. I think it was, you know, a really successful um, example of creating two two different characters. When it's clear the survivor guilt that he's experiencing, you know, like, and I was, I even made that note. And then the character goes, I know the doctors are telling me that it's survivor guilt. And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. That's exactly what's happening here. But um, you could just tell the anguish that, I mean, he feels personally responsible and that's what's driving him to do all of this, which also makes me wonder. So obviously Chakotay would feel a drive to to save his friends, right? If he has a way to save his friends. But Chakotay wouldn't have that same weight on him that Harry has. You know, Harry's definitely carrying something different than Chakotay is. I think there's also a world in which the writers could have made them tee off of each other, where Chakotay holds Harry responsible. And they could they could like fight, and I'm glad we didn't get that because I feel like the the two guys working together against Starfleet was a much more compelling angle than if there was any like sort of um, conflict. And I feel like writers on TV shows, especially, they love to like gin up conflict at every corner. And so I was kind of pleasantly surprised, reflecting on this, that they just they get the job done. They work together well. 
Yeah, yeah. I did not to talk about the technical time travel stuff too much, but I was a little bit confused. I mean, they made it seem like Harry was like literally keying in the numbers, like as he was reading them and like, I don't know, texting them back to Janeway or something, it, which is like not that believable to me. I mean, it's supposed to be this really like high tech starship and I think it would just be like automated telemetry that would just, I mean, I don't think it's something that... A, Harry would be personally responsible for like not making a fat finger mistake when he <laughs> sends the data back. But that, but I'll, I'll accept the premise. I don't want to complain too much. Right. Like would they have like a link where Harry is entering it and it automatically goes to Voyager's computer, but maybe someone has to receive it and make some adjustment based on um, the data. I don't know. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I, I think older Chakotay has a more subtle difference to younger mm -hmm. Chakotay. But again, I think you have more resolve than younger Chakotay has. Younger Chakotay is just kind of like, sure, Catherine, we'll do whatever you want. And like we've talked about, whereas older Chakotay is like, no Starfleet, fuck you. We're going to fight now. And so well, that's I because his love is dead and now he has the chance to save her. So <laughs> that yeah. gives him some resolve. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think just like you said that Garrett Wong has a lot of range. I I don't know. Bob Beltran has got a lot of like criticism over the years for his portrayal of Chicote. And I do think that this is one of the stronger um episodes in terms of his portrayal that we get more of um more range. But I do wish that there was a little bit more distinguishing older Chicote and younger Chicote. Than, than we see. I think it's there, but I think it could have been a, like a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Because like, for example, I didn't really sense the bond between him and Tessa all that much. Mm -mm. But that's because, well, I don't know about you all. That's because I just, the bond is just there between Janeway and Chakotay. And I know when, when Tessa, like, oh, she's talking about like, you know, um, how, how excited they are about, you know, finally getting the chance to do this. And I'm like, you do realize that um, if this works, his old love is the one who's coming back and you're not going to matter anymore. <laughs> There's not going to, you know, like it's going to change all the dynamics of, you know, and, and it's just like, there's, that's really thick on in the scene because, you know, so Chakotay sits down in the, in the captain's or in the commander's chair and plays that, little fragment of the log that we hear Janeway record later in the episode, mm -hmm. but you know, where she just talks about how they served with valor, whether or not, you know, and, and yeah. so when you first hear that, you're not sure if that's something she records right before they crash or if it's something, you know, and then you find out, no, no, it was actually something that she recorded that morning when they were getting ready to try their experiment. Right. But, um, but just the way he delivers his line right after that, I can't remember what it is he says to Tessa, but it's like, you can tell he was really affected by hearing Janeway's voice. Like that was um, pretty, I, and I would think he would also be affected by her dead body laying on the ground, like, you know, a few feet from him, but. Tessa Harmon, Tessa Amond, by the way, uh, the girlfriend in question played by Christine Harnos, a regular on ER between 1994 and 2002. She's also mm. plays K in Dazed and Confused. So she's got some she's got some pretty uh, cool credits under her belt, but it looks like she stopped acting very much since in 2003. I guess when you've been in a bunch of episodes of ER, uh, those residuals probably 
Well, oh, sorry, I should say she's not a regular, as in like a regular appearance, but she had, she was in twenty eight episodes of ER. So she regularly. I'm trying to remember when ER. I saw her on ER because I actually watched ER also when it was airing, but I don't know. I don't remember her. She guest starred. I mean, I thought she looked familiar, but. I'll read you a, a quick summary from the ER wiki uh, for all of our ER mm. fan listeners. She guest starred at Jennifer Green from the first season to the eighth oh, season. Oh, okay. I totally know. Okay. Her final okay. appearance was in the episode at Mark's funeral. Um, I don't know who Mark is, but I'm kind of sad he died. <laughs> Anthony Edwards. Oh. Did you watch, did you watch no, Top Gun? Yes, no, I did, I mean, of have you, Okay, Goose and Top Gun. Yeah. He was one of the leads in ER. He's the, so he's his, the long-faced his, glasses guy. Yeah, yeah. So he was one of the main doctors until the character died. Did but, uh, did Christine Arnos' character go on an aircraft carrier and throw his dog bags into the <laughs> water? Cause... I don't I don't think they did that scene. No. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, so she, she plays Tessa. I don't think there's much to say about Tessa. She's just there to mm-hmm. basically provide a little bit of like... To, to show just how much Chakotay wants this to happen, that he's he has some stakes in the current timeline, but he's giving them up anywhere. anyway. So, um, but I, I really don't think there's much to say about her beyond that. Do you guys have anything? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it was interesting to see Jordy pop up briefly. Yeah. Uh, in this episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's a big, pretty big easy fan service. Yeah, and a pretty easy one to do since he was directing the episode. So right, and and it was and it was all... a challenger. Did you hear the ship was called the Challenger? Yeah. Oh really? So, yeah. And so it's... was that right after the the Challenger was lost? Uh, no, because Challenger was in '86, so you know it would have been. Thinking about Columbia. Yeah, yeah. Columbia was 2002, though. Right. It was afterwards, but it was like around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Closer to this episode, um, it's. The, the registration numbers of the USS Challenger and the Space Shuttle Challenger are very similar as well. There's some similarities between Oh, them. okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. But, um... Sorry, Emily, did you just know that? The yeah, I will... The Challenger and Columbia? Yeah, I was super affected by the Challenger explosion, so it just is embedded in my brain. I remember when it happened. And then, actually, the, um, the Columbia was traumatic, too, because my brother's bird died, like right after it happened like we were watching the news all the stuff with columbia and everything and then all of a sudden his bird died it was really sad and so it's like we're like oh my gosh did we like somehow transmit our stress over watching this columbia disaster to the bird and she died because she shouldn't have died like there was nothing wrong with her she just like had a fit and died it was really sad and so yeah i have <laughs> Those two events are like seared in my brain. But I was I lived in Florida when the Challenger exploded. Uh, and so I like when we went out onto the playground, we could see the contrails um in the really? sky. Yeah. Wow, wow. I mean there's so dear listener, if you have not watched anything about the Challenger disaster, there's a great Netflix series se- on Netflix, oh, yeah. it's a great Netflix series about the Challenger disaster, which is gut-wrenching they have like home videos of the astronauts and like they have their relatives speaking it is a punch in the gut especially when you learn that one of them wasn't supposed to be on that flight like he was moved on to it because a senator got on the other flight oh nasa administrator um uh bill nelson bill nelson <laughs> when he was a congressperson was in the congress and space program he and another congressperson was were on the two previous flights, and they bumped Greg Jarvis, who ended up on Challenger as a result as a payload specialist. Mm. And so, wow. yeah, wow. it's 
it's real sad. Um, I'll also say like President Reagan's speech after the Challenger exploded is probably one of the greatest presidential speeches of all time, in my opinion, and one that I watch frequently. I think I, I would put it like with Gettysburg, of course, we don't have a recording, but that's mm -hmm. another powerful one. I RFK's speech after MLK died, that's another, he's not president, mm -hmm. of course, but like in the yeah. pantheon of great political speeches. So go watch that if you haven't, dear listener. And um, it really, it really hits you. I mean, I think the emotional impact of that loss is, um, I was, I was still not alive for a couple of months when it happened, but it was, it's, it's, it's tough. I grew up reading about the Challenger disaster yeah. in all my space books. I have the front page from it. Like I was cleaning out stuff. I must have taken it from my parents' house because my mom had it for a long time. But I was when I moved houses, I happened to find it in our storage room. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, I was super I was super affected by it, like in, in like weird ways. And we didn't realize what was going on until we were able to pinpoint it back to the Challenger explosion, like having yeah. major separation anxiety from my mom after that. And because I read so much about the teacher who was going and her kids. And so like, I was totally yeah. with those kids and then their mom died. And it was like, yeah, it's just, it's interesting how those things affect you based on the age that you are when it happens. And yeah. Well, and I, I don't think I knew fully just how big it had become the teacher in space program, like just how much it had been publicized. So that was in the TV show. And just uh, to to bring it back to our, our what we were talking about in, in, in a kind of maybe a little bit of a pain segue, but I'll try, which is you can kind of see the impact of that much loss on a human being, right? Like, and, and Harry and Chakotay are trying to, con the characters are trying to convince us that they've gone 15 years feeling this guilt and loss and, uh, for, for for their crewmates and for their ship, and I think it is it it does work for me in this episode that these characters their grievance and their like drive, even though we see so little of them, it can it's conveyed very well. Well, and it's so I I was just thinking so there's that scene when Harry just like almost he's like completely breaking down. Um, you know, and just saying like, I killed them. This is the reason they're dead. I have to be able to fix this. And the doctor is there and is able to like pull him back from the brink and get him to focus on what he's doing. And that also to me just showed so much growth in the doctor's mm -hmm. character. Cause the last episode we've watched a Voyager would be from the pilot. Right. So the right. doctor's character isn't super developed in the pilot. He's just kind of a jerk you know or just like real he's real gruff and abrasive but um i was like wow the doctor is like look how much he's grown like here he can serve kind of in a like like he just he's recognizing the mental anguish that harry is under and and really able to kind of pull him back and get him to focus and well but there's also i mean it's a demonstration of complexity of the character right harry's holding it together but when things really break and it's mm -hmm. And he's stressed. He starts losing it. Like, I feel like that's such a realistic portrayal of, like, your drive. I mean, so many times in my life, I've been, like, so in times of crisis, I've been so laser focused. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the solution. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to mm -hmm. hold it together until it's over. And then when it, when that solution doesn't work, you just, you, your mind shuts down. You start panicking. Mm -hmm. So I, I, mm -hmm. I appreciated that portrayal. You know, you mentioned the doctor. And I, I think that this is the point at which we need to talk real quick about you know, I said earlier that nobody really time travels in this episode. That's not true. The doctor kind of does. <laughs> Normally, he just he doesn't age, but he shows up 15 years in the future. I like that. I like that they mm -hmm. could like 
talk to one of their crewmates and it wasn't like in a dream or on the holodeck or something you know that they could bring the i think the doctor's presence in the script is a positive one mm-hmm. yeah for sure for sure and he serves a necessary role in helping them actually execute the plan Right. Them using Seven of Nine's body, though, I wasn't, like, prepared to see her dead on a table. And then, uh, like, suddenly the body's gone in the next scene and it's, like, replaced with a bunch of parts. Yeah, that's grim. <laughs> yeah. And nobody seems affected by it. Like, you just sliced open your friend, like. And I don't know if it's just because, well, except for the doctor, but, like, for Harry and Chakotay, their friends have been dead for 15 years, so it doesn't affect them as much. But I almost had a moment when they first beam Seven back up to the shuttle. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, now, I can't remember. Were they able to revive her somehow because of her Borg Mm -hmm. implants? Or, you know, like, I had a moment of trying to remember if she played a role alive, but clearly she played a role, but not alive. Um yeah it is i think in a funny way i think that grimness and it not being touched on kind of i think again underlines the serious tone of of this episode Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's and maybe i can help you with this i feel like it's serious in a different way it's not serious in that like a very special episode kind of way and it's not serious in kind of a hokey way where there's a bunch of action or whatever. Like, it, it is just... This is a grim, grim episode only. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that's why it sticks in my mind so well. Um, one of the things that I think I mentioned earlier that really is memorable is Voyager's crash and their decision to show it. I, I don't know what y'all thought about that part. Yeah, that wasn't, you know, it's been probably 10 years since I watched this episode last, so I didn't remember exactly how things played out. And I was kind of surprised when they made the attempt and Voyager crashes anyway. Um, So that, I mean, I don't know. That was kind of interesting. I found myself wondering, like, because they they make the comment that everyone um, in the ship died on impact. And so I found myself watching for, you know, so when would that moment have been? Like, what was it? Was it when they hit the planet or was it when they um, came to the hard stop? Or, you know, like I just I just started, you know, because and then what is it that that gets them under the ice? Like. Is that just what happens over the next 15 years that they get trapped under that much ice or does the the way they crash, does it like cause an avalanche or something that, you know, like I just was wondering, like, how do they end up under ice and. So we know that four or five decks, something like that, just compressed. Um, and that would have killed a bunch of them, I think. Probably. Yeah, I, I I thought it was more just blunt force trauma of the, like the, mm. the the crash. You just everybody just like, you know, the, the the amount of g forces and the sudden deceleration just killed everybody. Um, yeah. and if, I mean, we don't know if there was someone alive who like then died of the exposure or whatever, but. Um, but then why didn't more people on the Enterprise D die when they crashed on the planet in Generations? Because actually, Deanna is a great pilot. That's who right. compensated for those deceleration forces and saved everybody's Go, Deanna. Retcon, <laughs> win. Uh, so, yeah, but I, I, I genuinely, it is one of the most iconic Voyager memories for me. That shot of, especially when it's in the cell, like clips the mountain. 
mm-hmm. and that shot of Voyager just like going nose first into the into the snow and it, it's it's I mean it's it's great it's it's great VFX I feel it doesn't feel like too hokey to me at least watching it like it doesn't feel gratuitous um, mm-hmm. maybe in a way that even the Enterprise D crashing I feel like a lot of people felt that that was a little gratuitous I don't think they this dragged it on for a long time they didn't drag this one on for a long time it didn't feel like you weren't like sitting on the edge of your seat holding your breath no. in the same way that they did with the yeah the Enterprise D it was kind of like meant to drag it out and make you feel really tense for a while yeah well, and, and okay, so so they crash. Harry has that moment of, of confusion. He Doctor helps him through it, and then we're done. And then we have the final scene where they exit the transwarp. Uh, Harry Kim realizes what he's done. He's sitting in the mess hall afterwards, and Janeway comes up to him and gives him a bad. What y'all What y'all think about the ending of this episode? Well, I, <clears throat> despite the um, problems that it creates for the plot, which you mentioned, Notch. I do think it's a nice idea of like old Harry sending young Harry a, a message. What would you? What do you... I think it's it's kind of it's kind of creative, and I just like I don't know. I mean, it feels actually kind of sweet or something to me that he you know is sending his younger self uh, a message. Well, I think it kind of serves to so um, Harry is sitting with the knowledge um, now. Granted, not sitting with the knowledge for fifteen years, but. You know, so Harry in the regular Voyager timeline is sitting in the mess hall, um, kind of feeling the weight of the fact that he did give his friends the wrong coordinates. Um, and somehow something else happened to cause them to leave the slipstream or whatever, to cause the slipstream, whatever, quantum something or other to collapse. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm not good at the techno babble. The quantum matrix. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, um, but he's kind of sitting with that. And I think there's some, not um, redemption, but maybe a little bit um, in that the who he is is the kind of person who would work for 15 years ceaselessly, ceaselessly to correct that mistake. And he finds that out because he gets that message from his older self. And his older self probably knows that Harry needed to hear that. Like he needed to hear, hey, you know, you got some numbers wrong, but mm-hmm. you are the kind of person that would work tirelessly to find a way to fix it. Um, anyway. I'm kind of curious if if we had to hold what happened to Harry into the next episode, which this being Voyager does not happen at all. What what do you think would ha- would have would have been a way for Harry to process what has happened in this episode and getting this message from himself in the future? Do you think there's any lasting re- repercussions that they should have shown? Does he stop giving? Does he give up trying to find ways for them to get home after this episode? <laughs> Where he's like, maybe we can't trust my judgment. Maybe I'm a little too a little too eager to get well, home. But but that that's I I guess this is um. That's a good point though, right? Like it would be a massive hit to his confidence in some ways, and maybe mm-hmm. in therapy it can be like, but look, dude, you grew. You did fix it. I think that's Janeway's point at the end. She's like, it's from her. You you helped mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's it. I mean, she's such a mom to him. Like it kind that kind that really comes across in that last scene. You know, like she's, um, she just wants him to to know that um, ultimately what kind of person he is. That he's a stand up person. And anyway, it yeah. just it felt very motherly. 
Um, I, I guess the, the, the final thing I'll ask in this thing is, um, you know, this is one of the great Harry Kim episodes. Harry Kim, a character who had not got developed in Voyager very much. In fact, I think it's kind of sad, actually, but I saw a quote from Joe Minoski uh, where he says, if someone would have said to me the 100th episode next season is going to feature Garrett Wong and Ensign Kim, I just would have laughed. It was just inconceivable. And I'm just sitting there being like, what is wrong with you? Like, why? Why do you say that? Like, he's a compelling character. Like, he's a little green or whatever, but like, that's your fault. You've written him like this. <laughs> like, it's it's so stupid. I, I don't I don't get that attitude, but this is one of the great episodes. I'm just wondering, are there others... Or that you remember? Are there other thoughts you have on Harry Kim since we are on an episode that is so heavily focused on him? You know, I've been listening to while we're thinking of which episodes. I I was listening. I've been listening to the Delta Flyers, which is the Garrett Wong and uh, Robert Duncan McNeil's podcast. And um, one of the things they were talking about was the input that different that the actors had on their characters, and that some of the actors were really they talked to the writers and to the showrunners a lot about their characters to try to kind of try, you know, either get things written into their characters or to explore different aspects of their characters. Um, the one they were particularly talking about was um, Robert Picardo wanting his, uh, wanting the doctor to sing opera. You know, he wanted him to sing Italian opera and he just was relentless, would not give up. He wanted the doctor to sing. And yeah. so, um, and eventually that happened. And Garrett said, you know, there was one time that he had an idea for Harry Kim and he went to the writers or the showrunner, whoever, and mentioned it and they kind of shot him down. And so he never tried again. And he said if he had a do-over, he thinks he would have realized that them shooting him down one time didn't mean they would shoot him down for all time and that he would have been a little more persistent in trying to get he says so he wonders if that's part of the reason that his character didn't develop as much over the course of the seven seasons because he didn't really try to push for his character to do that much and i was like oh that's that's interesting you know yeah, I could see also he was such a young actor at the time mm-hmm. that like, you know, you, you, the ability and Star Trek was known as like, oh, the great Star Trek, like, and you know, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga aren't exactly known as cuddly, lovely people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it's like, I could see him not wanting, to, especially if he's just almost been thrown off the show, according to the narrative, which may or may not be true. Um he doesn't want, he's just like, well, I'm just happy to be here. Like, why would I, why would I rock the boat? Bill, you, you've, you've made fun of Harry Kim a little bit. So I, I want you to talk a little bit about his character. Well, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think it's, it's kind of exactly what you guys are talking about. I mean, it does seem that Harry is always like the butt of the joke mm-hmm. or uh, the guy who gets beat up. Or, you know, um, or, you know, the guy who has to, like, clean the toilets or whatever. And, you know, he's he's the eternal ensign, right? He never gets promoted. Um, so he does seem like kind of a, a punching bag to me. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I, I really, I, this is, it's one of those things about Voyager because, because they had so little held on from episode to episode. I feel like the characters which are some of the strongest in star trek developed also the least with the notable exception of, of the doctor 
uh, just in general. And I think, listener, if you've stuck around and listened to me talk about Voyager a whole bunch through our 43 episodes, you know that this is something I bring up a lot. Because it bugs me! This is my favorite track! Like, why couldn't you do more? Like, what? <laughs> it's just like, why couldn't you just have them be sad sometimes about what happened the previous week? That's <laughs> all I wanted. I just wanted them to cry. <laughs> but you know, there is an impact. There is more of an impact for the characters in Voyager than there is in Next Generation. Um, you know, I mean, I because and, and part of it is because of the nature of how the show, because the the show starts with the ship being stranded in the Delta Quadrant and mm-hmm. ends with them getting home. So obviously, there's a trajectory, literally, for the ship. And so there are some things that have to kind of carry over from uh, previous episodes, um, you know, and they and and I mean, if you look at the character of Seven of Nine, her character has a lot of a lot of an arc. Tom Paris's character has a huge arc. Bolanas has an arc the, really the character yeah. they don't give a huge arc to. I don't think Tuvok changes very much. And I don't think that Harry Kim changes very much. Neelix, I think, changes. Um, there's a big difference between Neelix in the first few seasons and Neelix yeah. later. I liked him a lot more once they separated he and Kess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and you know, even, so we only had Kess for three seasons, but even in those three seasons, she she does have a pretty strong character arc. So I feel like there is greater character growth in Voyager than there is in Next Generation. Yeah, I think you're right. I guess then my question becomes, why Why is the popular perception? Because this is, I mean, this was the l- official line on the message boards. I was a moderator of the Star Trek Voyager forum on Trek VBS for three years. And like, this was, this was the common line is that this is people's frustration. And I'm just wondering why TNG doesn't get more criticism for that. Like, what is... What is the difference? I mean, yes, there's the. You're right in that it's the nature of the storyline, but still, people should be more frustrated with TNG because you're right. Yeah, but I. So I have an answer with a few subcomponents to it. So one, I think, you know, the premise of Voyager is so promising, right? And so I think it's, you know, they have this great setup, and then they kind of don't deliver on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's point one. Point two is having said that, like, this is just TV in the nineties, right? Like episodic TV. And so it, it, you know, in retrospect, using our kind of modern sensibilities, it, it seems like a wasted opportunity, but, uh, that was just kind of the way TV was mm. done at the time. Um, and then the third point I'd make is that like, I, so Emily, I do have to, to say that like these, changes in the characters that you're describing which i agree with i i think we're analyzing it with a like star trek lens yeah and compared to other storytelling the characters really don't develop even the ones that develop like if you squint you can see it but you know (laughs) but they're really pretty static even the ones that that do change a little bit just comparing it to other types of storytelling Yeah, no, I can see that. Well, you know, the other thing that I think was happening was storytelling and television was starting to change. And if I think one of the ways you can see that is if you look at Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. So obviously they started to try to tell stories a little differently in Deep Space Nine, um, having stories carry over for several episodes and not just one or two episode arcs. And um but then they wanted Voyager to harken back to what TNG was doing. 
And I think seeing that Deep Space Nine was able to do something different, but then Voyager went back just to kind of mirror. I think that could also be where some of the criticism comes from because people were like, well, but look, you you actually could have some of these experiences that they have affect their, you know, future episodes, but you're not doing that. So. Yeah. Well, this is, I'm sure, a topic that we'll return to over and over. Um, yeah, well, I am thinking I might need to buy this Voyager Celebration book if it's my favorite Star Trek. I, well, I, well, you say it is, but I, we know the truth. We know that your favorite is actually Deep Space Nine, even though the words can't come out of your mouth. They cannot. They get stuck. I choke. <laughs> it's a vaccine side effect. No, it's not. I'm just kidding. There are no... Get the vaccine, people. These people, <laughs> both of them said it. I made jokes. Like, just get the vaccine, okay? I've had it. It's great. I actually had barely any side effects. So don't be scared. Like, yeah. it'll be good for you. All right. Let's move on to strange new ratings. Uh, which of you wants to stick your neck out and give this episode a rating? What you got for me time for Timeless? So I'll go first. <clears throat> I'm going to give this one. I, th- I thought it was good. It was solid. It was fun. It wasn't like... It didn't rock my world. Uh, so I'm going to give it seven out of 10 uh, quantum matrices. <laughs> I'm going to give it a four out of five. I thought it was a great episode. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I kind of, I felt I was on the journey with them and, and, you know, feeling what they were feeling and it was a good show. You know, I think if I nitpick enough, I can drop my rating uh, but I think this is, I mean, I just have to reflect on the fact that this episode has so many iconic moments that I still remember. And any piece of art that has that kind of effect on me is a 9 out of 10. It's not perfect. I think there are enough flaws where I can't be like, this was just magnificence on screen. Like, So I'm not going to give it a 10, uh, which I gave to In the Pale Moonlight and to... Uh, Apparently the 26th episode of the fifth season, which is the first of the Equinox things I gave a 10 out of 10 to. Hmm. Uh, but I think I think this one's going to get a nine from me and I'm, I'm really happy about it. So it was, it, was, it was a great joy going and watching it uh, again this week. We haven't picked out another episode for, for next week, unfortunately, at this moment. Um, I'm wondering if I should just make a pitch over here and all live so our listeners can listen in and and you can tell me if it's if it's something uh y'all are interested in time's arrow from tng two-parter is that the one where they find data's head yeah yeah and, and they go to san francisco yeah. Is there Mark and those Twain weird people too, with the serpent thing and the weird serpent headed thing. Hey, 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 we're going to repack this next Pickard. week. <laughs> I'm spoiling it all. <laughs> <laughs> is is this, uh, so is, are we good with Time's Arrow? Should we tell the listeners that's what they should watch? All right. Time's- yeah, it's totally, you know, it's nice because it's totally different than, uh, than this one that we just saw. So it's kind of, yeah. yeah, anyway. Let's do that. Let's, let's, yes, dear listener, go watch the TNG two-parter Time's Arrow. Uh, it's going to be, uh, uh, I, I remember watching it many years ago and I remember it being fun. So it'll be a good. It's one. a good one. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bill actually nominated it. So I think it's a, it's a good choice for next week. With that though, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Emily, for being here. I always appreciate the chance to talk Star Trek with y'all. Yeah. Well, thank you, Notch. Yeah. Thank you, Notch. Always, always. And uh, thank you, Rudy, Adam, Max, and Dinah for all of your contributions to this podcast, past and present. I 
Hope that uh, you'll be able to join us soon again for another episode. And I hope whatever you're all doing right now is fun. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us as well. Uh, we always appreciate you taking the time of your day to listen to us. Thank you to Jishnu Guha for our theme music, uh, which is the Klingon theme from Star Trek, played on a guitar, if you haven't figured that out yet. And special thanks to the Borg. I mean, the un, <laughs> like, you know, ungrateful Harry Kim. He's just like, we got this Borg piece. What if the Borg researchers hadn't taken the time to make a temporal transmitter, man? You'd be living with guilt for the rest of your life. But because they did... Because some Borg drone somewhere was like, we need this. And spent years of his drone life, or their drone life, or her drone life, making this temporal transmitter. That's how you were able to assuage your guilt and save your friends. I, I think the Borg, this really, this episode should be timeless. It should be, thank you, the Borg. It's uh, a better title. <laughs> they saved the day. They really did. They really did. They really did. So, so special thanks to the Borg. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. It's been fun. I like this this discussion of like uh, the axe and the. Mm-hmm. It's kind of easy when there's a linear plot. This is yeah. a super yeah. The I think it's a this is a really straightforward plot that they had. So. <laughs> the <whole> Neelix subplot <laughs> with the fly. <laughs> like there's like twenty minutes of Neelix retrieving the fly from his yes. ship and like slapstick <laughs> comedy. <laughs> <laughs> they did write that part, but it just got cut out on the edit. It's on the editing floor. <laughs> Speaking of which, I think I'm going to put this discussion of Neelix's slapstick at the end of the episode. <laughs> that weird furry fly. Mm. So strange. So, so strange. <laughs>